Welcome to the Urantia Radio Podcast. Jim here with you again. Thank you for joining me. And we start off with the song by the Moody Blues, and I'll explain why in just a moment, but it's pertinent to the discussion and for the moment at hand. Is uh, in commemoration of Graham Edge. Graham was the drummer of the band, the Moody Blues, and the Moody Blues drummer recently passed away in his home, Los Angeles, 80 years old. And it's interesting because I was a big fan of the Moody Blues uh, a few years before I even started reading the Arantia book. So imagine how excited I was when I found out that Justin Hayward was a Arantia book reader. And I don't quite remember. Somebody told me, and I believe them. And uh, when you read some of the lyrics of some of the songs they write, you can definitely see some influence. And Justin Hayward was a, a pivotal uh, uh, vocalist for the band. And so, you you know, like in any band, you know, they share a lot of stuff. So you wonder if there was, you know, some influence on the Arantia book on the Moody Blues. Even the, the name Blue, but I, I think they came up with the name Moody Blues before Justin joined. So anyway, so Graham Edge has, uh, as they say, graduated, and uh, he lived apparently a really good life. He was a glue that held the, the band together. As some of the other band members have said, he was the backbone. Not only the backbeat, but the backbone. I actually got to see them. Uh, many, many years ago in the Santa Barbara County Bowl. It was a daytime concert. It wasn't that good. <laughs> I, I, You know, when you've heard a song so many times and then you see it live, sometimes it doesn't have the... But I enjoyed seeing the band, and that's the important thing. So anyway, uh, a couple things I want to talk about. I don't normally like to do too many promotional announcements about things coming up uh, just because the podcast will outlive the event. And so, you know, a year from now, somebody might hear something and, oh, that's coming. And then they don't realize that it already happened. But this is kind of an important event. So let me see if I can dig up the information from the association. And I believe that there is a big event coming up here uh, soon, next weekend. This is the global event. Go to the Urantia. I guess the Urantia. Here we go. Got it. Uh, November 20th, 21st, from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern Time. That's Eastern Time in the United States. Uh, there's going to be a global event. Your Rancho Book readers from all over the world, from Germany, ne Netherlands, Paraguay, Arizona, Atlanta, Venezuela, Puerto Rico, El Salvador, U.K. All are invited, sponsored by the Foundation. The Orangia Foundation. So there's a good place to start. It's going to be going from, again, 8 a.m. Eastern Time. So you just figure out what it means to you in your local region. I think it actually has it here. For example, Germany, Spain, most of Europe. 2 p.m. is when it starts next Saturday. Uh, Argentina, South America, 10 a.m. For the most part of Eastern South America. And then here in the States, uh, it starts, of course, at 8 a.m. Next, and it's going to be basically an event where you log in and 
You get to see a lot of presentations from a lot of your Rancho Book readers who are motivated by the spirit of the revelation. So it goes on for two full days. And it's right before Thanksgiving. So there'll be that Thanksgiving. Well, it's you know kind of an American thing. But, you know, we could all use a little bit of Thanksgiving, wouldn't you say? I, uh, I've been having a little trouble coming up with topics. I was going to have Joel Garbone back on because I got a lot of positives on him. And I want to say thanks to him. I will have him back on probably in the weeks to come. But I've been in a little bit of a funk uh, just because of all the news that's going on. And I thought it would be disingenuous for me to come on to this podcast because I try to do it at least once a week. Try to find some nugget that we can talk about in the Arantia book or having to do with sharing the revelation. And uh, I've also been spending a lot of time putting the finishing touches on my second book, which I hope to have. I, I want to share some of it with you. I might even do it in this podcast, but just know that I my goal is I've always had a desire to simplify the Arantia book so that when people are first introduced to it, you can give them something that sort of gives them an overview of what the Arantia book is about and why it's so important. And what they can gain from it. And so that's what the second book is, is about. The first book, which is on Amazon and you can buy it for like 12 cents. It's it's under. I also made it so you could read it within a couple of hours. Because you can, if you can't explain something in a couple of hours, forget it. Short of the actual book and reading the Arantia book itself, I wanted to present something to people that would give them an introduction and answer a lot of questions that they would, you know, like the first question everybody asks about the Arantia book. Where did it come from? Who wrote it? That's usually the first question. And you're, then you got to start with this long dissertation. Well, this group in Chicago and some guy was talking in his sleep. And by the time you're on to the third sentence, people don't want to hear it anymore. It sounds like something like Mormon or, uh, oh, it's like, is it like Christian? It was my always always my favorite. It's got a lot of stuff about Jesus in it. What is it, a Christian book? So um, I am almost done with the second, and it's called Further Along the Revelation or Further Exploring the Revelation and uh, and Why It Matters. I think that's the working title. Further Along the Revelation and Why It Matters. And this time it takes a little bit more of a scholarly approach it's, it's actually more of an exhortation that says, hey, wake up. This book, we need it right now. We need this book right now. There are 100,000, maybe 200,000 people around the world who actually believe that this book is a revelation because it is a revelation. There's more than enough evidence to show that this book could not have been the work of one author, much less 12 or 17 and nobody comes and takes credit. If there were th that many people involved in this process, surely over the course of 70 years, somebody would have said, I know who wrote the Arantia book. And it blow the cover. And everybody would disband and go, go back to whatever they were doing before. But it hasn't happened. And it's not going to happen. I'm convinced. And so that's what this second book is about. It's, it's assuming, let's assume for a, a moment that we do have a revelation from the very kingdom that we all seek out in our life, from the very place that offers salvation from mortal self, comes this, this 
fantastic presentation of reality that we have been so long denied in knowing. And here we have an opportunity in this day and age amidst the chaos that we can endure this mess that we've created in the age of materialism. And yet, off to the side, very subtle, like a whisper, hey, this book tells us what's really going on. And it does tell us what's really going on. And I want to get to a little bit of that. And I also want to read a couple of papers from paper 140. This is when Jesus and the apostles were first getting to know each other. And uh, basically Jesus was showing them what the truth of the kingdom was. He was spending time before these, these guys, they gave up their lives. They were, they were so caught up in, in, in Christ's teachings. He was such a, a powerful figure that they were willing to give up their lives to follow this man because they believed that he had something that no one else had, the truth. And as much as that they could accept and understand the truth, he was able to give them. But he was frustrated, too. Because they kept taking his truth and trying to fit it into what they had previous conceptions about. I mean, these were all somewhat learned men, common but learned. They weren't idiots. They weren't illiterate. They all had, most of them had wives. They were common men. They were common, like flyover country in the United States. They were the common folk. They weren't arrogant, you know, scholarly types that graduated from the, you know, Alexandria and thought they knew everything, you know. And he also stayed away from politics, which I commend him. Anyway, we're going to read from that in just a moment. But we are in a period of testing. There's no question in my mind. And I was pondering this, and I thought, I'll bring it to the forefront just because every day I keep reading things that are quite alarming. And it's, again, I said at the very beginning, I didn't want to come on and do the next podcast and just pretend that everything is going fine. Because everything is not going fine. I asked my wife last night, I said, has, has there always been this kind of, have, have, have there always been this many criminals in our society? We just didn't know about it. Has there really always been this much mayhem and chaos, but we just weren't aware of it because we didn't have TV and Twitter? She didn't have an answer. Are we going through a period of tribulation? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I read Revelations a lot. I don't subscribe to the biblical interpretation of the end of days, but I know it's out there, and I know a lot of people do, and there's surely enough metaphorical evidence anyway. I mean, the metaphors in, in John's Revelation are so rich you could attach any number of meanings to any number of statements. And that's what, that's what I don't like about it. It's not specific. You know, it gives you all these clues. Look for these kind of stars and look for this. I mean, it, there, there is a section in Revelations where it damn, damn near comes close to describing the destruction of the Twin Towers. And I'll leave it at that. The Urantia book in paper 195 warns us clearly of the dangers of materialism and that unless we get right with God and unless we have some concept on some basic level on our society, that there is a, a greater reality, like Joel said, a big R reality. I'm going to steal that from him again. And I've, and I've pondered in the last few weeks uh, 
Will it eventually get to a point where the world will be divided up between those who believe in God and those who don't? And what kind of governments will we see arise? Well, we can look across over to Asia and see what a godless government looks like. Look at what China is doing, what they've been. We've talked about that on this program. Half the people on this planet subscribe to an atheistic society where the state has complete control over you. And this stupid virus is giving people license to take control in areas of our lives and we just allow them to do it. And um, along that line is, is a choice that people have to make. And I see a real degradation going on. I'll tell you what really bummed me out today is that I saw a video. I've only seen it once on television. I saw a video of a man about my age, probably late 50s, walking on a street in Manhattan. It's nighttime. One guy comes up from behind, hits him in the back of the head with a pipe. Guy falls to the ground. Five other guys show up, all wearing hoodies. You can't really see. What you can see is the guy's getting stabbed in the back multiple times while he's getting kicked in the face. Now... In my youth, that happened to me. I didn't get stabbed, but I, I've been attacked by throngs of people. When you live in Los Angeles and you're a white kid, it happens. But not to the degree that it happened to this man. And I, I tried to go and find it on video because I wanted to include it in something I was putting together. And um, I noticed there were 20 other videos, all of different kinds of these things happening on YouTube. Because, you know, you got to type in a keyword, right? You type in a little keyword. New York City man attacked. Boom. 20 different videos of different men and women and children and shootings. What is happening in our society? Are we in a moral decay or what? But it, it, to me, it's a, it's a greater illustration of the breakdown that is occurring in our society. And I do believe we're in a tribulation. I do believe people are choosing... Which way they want to go? What kind of government? What kind of world do they want to live in? And here we are with this great truth, and we are being prepared for, you know, sharing this revelation. It's why we do what we do here. But it may have come along too late because it seems that the, the locomotion is moving at a much greater speed, like the acceleration of the fall of Rome was a 300-year period. And, and we may very well be in the middle of however long it takes for this great country to fall apart. And uh, that's why I asked the question, is it eventually going to be a world where there are people who, who have God-centered lives and believe in the afterlife and live this life in accordance with that, with the eternal realities? Or are we going to go the way of what other people are doing, which is just to embrace the state, do what the state does, leave me alone, follow the leader, because it's frightening out there. What I see, uh, what I see leaders doing right now is a total. Um, it contradicts everything about what I love about freedom, and liberty, and the right to choose, and the right to make decisions based on your own, you know, cognizant uh, uh, aspect of reality. When you when you make a decision, because you've been thoughtful and you've done your research. 
you have that right to make that decision. But when that decision is taken away from you, you are no longer free. And that's where we're at. And I was thinking today, for those who are familiar with the Arantia book, uh, remember when the rebellion first broke out in Van and Amadon? For seven years, they had to wait for a response from the Most Highs of, of Adentia. And, the, you know, Van, who was, of course, a nodite, of nodite extraction, which means he was one of the 100 of Caligasia's staff, so he was basically a superman, a super alien man. Uh, he and, and Lake Van, by the way, is named after him for anybody who wants to do some early archaeological digging. Find out where the name Van came from. It came from him. Anyway, so Van said, well, who do I follow? This was the Lucifer Rebellion. So Lucifer, who was in charge of a, a 615 worlds, kind of like the governor, I guess you could say. And he said, we're rebelling against Michael's way. We believe that we should self-assert our own liberty, the liberty doctrine. That's what it's called. And every planetary prince on every world can do whatever the hell they want to do. If you have a better way of dealing with the, the humans, go ahead. Do what you got to do. And Van is sitting here on our world, and he's saying, w what? I don't subscribe. This isn't right. This is contradiction to God's law, God's will. We're, sup we're supposed to be here helping these people, not just doing whatever we want and being our own little kings and queens and running the world the way we want. And that's basically the choice that Van had to make. Van was waiting. He, he said, do I, am I being disloyal to Gal Caligasti? He's my boss. He's the guy I serve. He's why I'm here. I volunteered to be part of his staff. And here we are, we're doing good work, we're, we're developing the world, we've got tribes now coming, they're learning great truths from us, pretty soon they're going to be learning about agriculture and, and how to melt copper and all this stuff that we want to teach them so that they could be a progressive civilization and they can grow the right way. And then one day, Adam and Eve will come and they'll carry on the torch, and then it all stops because of the Lucifer Rebellion. The assertion, the assertion of the liberty doctrine, which Lucifer put forth, saying you are free. It, it's basically the equivalent of, of Antifa. It's basically a way of saying, you know, we don't want the established order anymore. We want to do things our way. We believe we have a better method. Forget 100,000 years of evolution. We've got a better idea. How about no more families? How about that? The community raises your children. How about you don't get to do what you want? You do what you're told because the government knows better. That's basically what we're stepping into. And I know that may may not be a direct correlation, but Van and Abaddon had, didn't know. They were two people that were caught up in all this. Like, well, who, where are my loyalties? And Van petitioned the Most Highs of Adention and said, what do I do? And they waited seven years before they got an answer. And we are told in the, the, this revelation that Michael allowed the rebellion to occur unfettered for seven years. And meanwhile, Gabriel representing him in the courts, that all ensued. But Michael's position was, the only way you're going to know if people are loyal to a great cause is to allow them to choose. 
And that's what I think this period is about. We're being allowed to choose the way of man or the way of eternal realities. Christ's teachings or the teachings of Xi. You know. And if you're going to let a certain group of people know that this was going on, how would you do that? Well, maybe you could figure out a way to draw attention to specific dates. So there's three dates that I'll share with you. August 21st, 1917, April 8th, 2024. And then I think it's December 29th, uh, 2028 or 2029. What's going to happen? Okay, so the first date was the first eclipse. The second date was the second uh, is going to be the second eclipse. And both of those eclipses are going to intersect seven years apart over the cross in southern near Carbondale. We've talked about that, Carbondale, Illinois. That's a seven-year period. That's, I think, the tribulation that we're in, if I'm right. And again, I'll preface this by saying I'm not a real big believer and supporter in this whole end of times period, but I am willing to entertain the fanciful notion that if you were going to send a clue and there was going to be a tribulation, that would be the way you could do it. And then on the 29th, or 2029, there is an asteroid heading towards Earth, and it's going to come within 10,000 miles of the surface of our planet, and it's named after the Greek god of destruction, Aposta, apost, apostrophe. It must be the root of apostate. Anyway, I'm suggesting that maybe this is a period of tribulation where people are going to choose and that there's going to be great devastation coming, but it's not going to be from climate change. It's going to be from a a stupid asteroid that may cause enough damage where it could cause much more damage than the COVID vaccine is causing. And I'm just saying that could be possible. But I don't want to lose my credibility before you. That's not what this is about. But when I look at the world today and you look at the world today, we are all being asked, we're all being challenged to not give up hope. So I want to read in in conclusion to this a section. We don't do it often enough. First of all, let me make the, let me make a recommendation and I'm going to follow my own advice. Pick up and read some of the Jesus papers. If you haven't done it in a while, go back and read some, just Pluck a couple of chapters here and there because it refamiliarizes yourself with the man who was this great man. And uh, this is in one of my thoughts to ponder emails that I get every morning. And I was moved to open it and read it. And I want to share it with you. And it's from paper 140, section 8, paragraph 20. And it reads Jesus did not want simply to produce a religious man a mortal wholly occupied with religious feelings and actuated only by spiritual impulses. Could you have had but one look at him, you would have known that Jesus was a real man of great experience in the things of this world. The teachings of Jesus in this respect have been grossly perverted and much misrepresented all down through the centuries of the Christian era. You have also had perverted ideas about the Master's meekness and humility, When he aimed at in his life appears to have been superb self-respect. He only advised man to humble himself that he might become truly exalted. What he really aimed 
at was true humility toward God. He placed great value upon sincerity, a pure heart. Fidelity was a cardinal virtue in his estimate of character, while courage was the very heart of his teachings. Fear not, which was his watchword. And patient endurance, his ideal of strength of character. The teachings of Jesus constitute a religion of valor, courage, and heroism. And this is just why he chose as his personal representatives 12 commonplace men, the majority of whom were rugged, virile, and mainly fishermen. Jesus had little to say about the social vices of the day. Seldom did he make reference to moral delinquency. He was a positive teacher of true virtue. He studiously avoided the negative method of imparting instruction. He refused to advertise evil. He was not even a moral reformer. He well knew, and so taught his apostles, that the sensual urges of mankind are not suppressed by either religious rebuke or legal prohibitions. His few denunciations were largely directed against pride, cruelty, oppression, and hypocrisy. Jesus did not vehemently denounce even the Pharisees, as did John. He knew many of the scribes and Pharisees were honest of heart. He understood their enslaving bondage to religious tradition. Jesus laid great emphasis on, quote, first making the tree good, end quote. He impressed the three that he valued the whole life, not just a certain few special, uh, special virtues. One thing that John gained from the day's teachings was that the heart of Jesus' religion consisted in the acquirement of a compassionate character coupled with a personality motivated to do the will of God in heaven. Peter grasped the idea that the gospel that they were about to proclaim was really a fresh beginning for the whole human race. He conveyed this impression subsequently to Paul, who formulated therefrom his doctrine of Christ as the second Adam. Jesus knew men were different, and so he taught his apostles. He constantly exhorted them to refrain from trying to mold the disciples and believers according to some set pattern. He sought to allow each soul to develop in its own way, a perfecting and separate individual before God. In answer to one of Peter's many questions, the master said, I want to set men free so that they can start out afresh as little children upon the new and better life. Jesus always insisted that true goodness must be unconscious in bestowing charity, not allowing the left hand to know what the right hand does. And then finally with this, the three apostles were shocked this afternoon when they realized that their master's religion made no provision for spiritual self-examination. All religions before and after the times of Jesus, even Christianity, carefully provide for conscientious self-examination. But not so much with the religion of Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus' philosophy of life is without religious introspection. The carpenter's son never taught character building. He taught character growth. Declaring that the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. But Jesus said nothing which would prescribe self-analysis as a prevention of conceited egotism. The right to enter the kingdom is conditioned by faith, personal belief. The cost of remaining in the progressive ascent of the kingdom is the pearl of great price in order to possess which man sells 
all that he has. The teachings of Jesus is a religion for everybody, not alone for weaklings and slaves. His religion never became crystallized during his day into creeds and theological laws. He left not a line of writing behind him. His life and his teachings were bequeathed the universe as an inspirational and idealistic inheritance suitable for the spiritual guidance and moral instruction of all ages on all worlds. And even today, Jesus' teaching stands apart from all religions. As such, albeit, it is the living hope of every one of them. So we'll exit out, stage left here, with some more music from the Moody Blues, our way of bidding farewell to Graham Edge, member, and the Moody Blues, of course. Until next time, thanks for joining me on the Urantia Radio Podcast. Don't forget to email me, Urantia Book Radio at gmail.com.